tonight on Huckabee. Candace Owens calls public harasses out. Comedian Robert G. Lee brings the laughs. And 60s music legend Gary Lewis performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Whoa. I think Trey and... Uh, Music City Connection are on a roll tonight. We're going to have so much fun. And this is a great audience here in our theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I don't know how much you keep up with the news, but recent polls reveal a shocker. 60% of Democrats think socialism is great for America. Overall, four out of 10 Americans prefer socialism over capitalism. And among those under the age of 45, by a margin of 46 to 19 percent younger Americans would rather have socialism than capitalism. I got to wonder, do parents teach their kids this nonsense? Or is our education system and the media so morally bankrupt that kids are being brainwashed? I mean, what makes people think that it's going to work here? In places like Venezuela and North Korea, it's resulted in starvation and deprivation of the most basic products and services. I mean, do people think it would be really cool to stand in line for a government-supplied roll of toilet paper? Do they? Do they know that if the government gives you toilet paper, it will probably be more like sandpaper? On the other hand, maybe people deserve to have their backsides scraped with sandpaper for being that out of touch with reality. I suppose it's appealing to want free health care, free college, guaranteed minimum income, paid leave for mothers and fathers after the birth of a child, and now add in proposals from some areas to have paid time off to care for a new pet like a dog or cat. I mean, there are actual proposals for this, so that you get a puppy and then you take six weeks off just to stay home and bond with Fluffy or Fido. <laughs> free phones, free clothes, free rides to work, and heck, why not free ice cream? But people who advocate such things have failed to get past economic childhood. Now, when we're five years old and have no idea about the value of work or money, it's normal to beg your parents for expensive toys or games or clothes without any regard to who's going to pay or how much it costs. I mean, I remember when my kids were little and they'd ask for trips to Disney World or expensive clothes or games we couldn't afford. And I'd simply say, we don't have the money. And they'd say, go to the bank. <laughs> they knew there was an ATM at the bank, so why not just go and get the money? Because at five, they didn't fully understand that to get the money out of the bank, you had to have the money in the bank or you had to rob the bank. <laughs> I genuinely fear for the survival of our nation if grown-ups still think like five-year-olds when it comes to money. Margaret Thatcher famously said that the reason socialism doesn't work is that sooner or later, you run out of someone else's money. Look, our nation was built on the notion that we had to work for what we wanted, and the harder we worked, the more likely we were to have the things that we needed or even wanted. I was raised poor, but I wasn't allowed to whine about it. I wasn't allowed to be resentful or jealous of what other kids had. I was told, get an education, work hard, and if there was something I wanted, it was up to me to work for it. Stupid me, I actually believe that stuff. So as a kid, I collected Coke bottles in a little red wagon and turned them in to get money so I could buy BBs and baseball gloves or even a banana split. I sold greeting cards door to door. I caught chickens, which by the way is something I hated so much that I vowed I'd do whatever it took to not do that for the rest of my life. But I was such a sap. I mean, I could have just demanded to have what others had because I was entitled to it. But here's the truth about free stuff the government gives. It's not free. Somebody's got to pay for it. 
And the government doesn't produce anything, so it doesn't have any money. It just takes it from the people who work for their money. So here's a little inconvenient truth. If the government takes so much money from the people who work and they give it to the people who don't, soon enough the working people will quit being saps and they'll either quit working or just move somewhere where the government doesn't steal their last dime and give it away. Because we're on our way to a collapse of our culture. Not because of race or politics, but because a growing number of people have the IQ of a baked potato when it comes to how the world works. Well, this show seems to uh, have a recurring theme. Two weeks ago, my daughter Sarah was here, and now another conservative who was driven from a restaurant by unhinged leftists. Take a look. Well, from the campus group Turning Point USA, please welcome by satellite, Candace Owens. Candace, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. You and Charlie Kirk had an interesting encounter in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I, I wasn't seeing the love there when you guys were accosted <laughs> uh, by the Antifa gang. What happened? Um, I guess we were guilty of trying to eat some pancakes and waffles. Um, there were about four people that were sitting at a table diagonal from us, and they immediately recognized Charlie and myself and apparently sent out a bat signal. We thought that they could potentially get through the meal uh, without any disturbances, and that was false. We looked up from our meal, and there were about 25 people outside at the window throwing things at us, and then they stormed the restaurant and started screaming that we were fascists, that we were white supremacists, and that we needed to leave. Well, 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 but let me get this right. You know, I'm, I'm observant enough to recognize that you're an African-American woman, and somehow you are a white supremacist? I'm, I'm not figuring that one out, Candace. You'll have to explain it to me. I'm not figuring out exactly either. I think the, the definition of white supremacy has shifted. It just means anybody that disagrees with the left, anybody that dares to venture away from Democrat ideologies. And, and I find it interesting, too, that the Antifa movement is about being anti-fascist, but the methods that they employ are as classic textbook fascism as anything I've seen uh, probably since the fascist movement of the 30s. Do they not understand that? I mean, do they look like they've opened a textbook recently? <laughs> I would say, I definitely don't think they have. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you see, though, as the threat to our country? And I know we're having some fun here tonight, but it's not fun when I think about there's a whole generation of younger people who are convinced that they're right, but they never have a conversation with anyone that they disagree with. They just scream and yell. And in the case of you and Charlie, they actually threw water on Charlie. That's correct. I think the biggest threat to our, our country right now is the censorship of ideas. Uh, we're seeing that on college campuses where it's predominantly liberal. And when a conservative speaker is welcome to the campus, as Charlie and I are, we are shut down immediately. Uh, we are protested. We have Antifa protesters. We have Black Lives Matter protesters simply because they do not want to hear different ideas. They are against capitalism. They are against free markets. And as you mentioned in the opening of the show, they're for socialism. I'm curious about your own uh, worldview. Where did it come from? At what point did you say, here's what I believe about the world, how it works, and I'm going to be an articulate spokesperson for it? Uh, like most people, I went through the public school system, which means that I emerged as a person who thought that Republicans were racist and that Democrats were the saviors at every point in history. I thought that I had to be a liberal because I'm African-American. Um, and when I actually think about the origins of these ideas in terms of my life, Everything that ever went right was presented to me um, by my grandfather. And everything that he values, he values God above anything else, his wife, family togetherness. 
Uh, we read the Bible every morning before we ate breakfast. Uh, it's conservative. Today, that's a conservative position. So the highlights of my life are conservative. Eventually, I just wanted to start taking personal responsibility for my life, and I emerged as a conservative, and I wanted to be the loudest voice for the black community and understanding that these ideas are going to help us. Well, you've been an amazing uh, voice for reason and responsibility. Do you find that there are people on the left who will sit down and talk to you and engage in a thoughtful adult-level conversation? Do you have those? Yes, I would say that there are many students who stand up when we go on their college campuses. We always say, if you disagree with us, come to the front of the line and ask us a question, and they always do. Then the moment that they realize they cannot defend their ideas, the moment that they realize that their ideas are simply emotions, um, they get very upset very quickly, and they storm away, and they start shouting. So um, challenging them is what makes them upset. Popping their utopian bubble is what makes them upset. The organization that you are a part of, Charlie Kirk, who was with us on the show a few months back, Turning Point USA, major goal for what you hope to achieve and, and what you do day in and day out. We just try to get conservative ideas in the school systems, on campuses, in high schools. It really should start even beneath that. These kids are being indoctrinated um, in preschool, in elementary school. They're learning that there are 87 genders. Uh, but we do what we can do, and we, we are the troops on the ground fighting for conservative beliefs and making people understand what makes America great, making them understand that America is the greatest country in the world, despite what the professors might want them to think. In the few seconds we have, just a simple answer. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of America? I'm incredibly optimistic about the future of America because I'm out here fighting and I have no intentions of giving up. You know, I love hearing that. I love hearing you, and it's such a delight to have you. Thank you, Candace, for being with us. Candace Owens. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Candace Owens for being forthright and fearless. I hope you'll subscribe to her YouTube channel. Uh, what you heard tonight, you can hear regularly as she makes some amazing commentary. See her no-holds-barred videos on her YouTube channel. Follow her also on Facebook and on Twitter at Real Candace O. Okay, Keith, before a bunch of crazed audience members throw some water in my face, why don't you tell us what we have coming up in the show? No, I want to see that. Later, the master of metal, American Chopper's Paul Tuttle Jr. And in case you missed it, headline, plus the comedy of Robert G. Lee. But first, the sweet sounds of the late 60s with singer Gary Lewis, all here on Huckabee. Well, my next guest has 17 top 40 hit songs, including This Diamond Ring, She's Just My Style, and Save Your Heart For Me. His career was already on the way up when the record company people found out that in addition to having a hot band, he just happened to be the son of comedian Jerry Lewis. But it was the quality of his music, not his famous dad that got him noticed and signed to a recording contract. Now, I've been so excited about having him here to sing a medley of his greatest hits. Here is Gary Lewis. Everybody loves a clown, so why don't you? Everybody laughs at the things that I say and do.
This diamond ring doesn't shine for me anymore And this diamond ring doesn't mean what it did before So if you've got someone whose love is true Let it shine for you This stone is genuine Like love should be I was watching the audience as I was singing along to the songs. Yeah. And I could tell there were a lot of these folks out here that were reliving some great memories of Gary Lewis and the Playboys in the 60s and some fantastic songs that you made immortal. You, you created the band at age 18. Mm -hmm. You guys got a gig at Disneyland. Right. Nobody knew that you were the son of the famous comedian Jerry Lewis. They just right. thought, you guys are pretty good. Yeah. You didn't use your dad's celebrity. You used the, just the fact the band was good. Well, I didn't even use my last name when we auditioned. You were just Gary and the Playboys. Gary and the Playboys. And, and we, where did the name Playboys come from? Because I think it's a great story. A couple of the guys came late to rehearsal one day, and I just said, where have you Playboys been? And that's where it came from. And that was it. But it stuck. It did. Five times you played the Ed Sullivan Show. Right. Uh, for those of us that grew up watching Ed Sullivan every week, what was he like? Was he as stiff in person as he was when he told us he had a really big shoe? <laughs> it, was, it was a real honor to meet him. You know, everybody watched him on Sunday night. Yeah. Eight o'clock, Sunday night, Ed Sullivan. So to be on that stage, it, it was, well, I was as nervous as I ever was. But... I mean, to get there five times, you obviously made him very happy because he wouldn't have had you back. There were some bands that famously only got one shot I know. and never got invited back. We did the Sullivan Show with the first five singles that we released, mm. and that gave them all the shot in the arm to go right to the top ten. But in the middle of the height of your career, you got drafted. I did. But you went. Gary, I think it's pretty phenomenal. You know, you could have probably used connections that I'm sure you had. You could have gotten out of it. You didn't even try to get out of it. No. You said, I'm go what, what inside of you made you decide that if your country called, you're going to say yes? Well, when I got my draft notice, I read it, and I said, well, Elvis did it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know... It, it speaks well of you because it was at a time when a lot of people were saying no to their draft notices. They were going to Canada. They were burning their draft cards. It was during right. the era of Vietnam. You went and served your country. I, I have to think that there are veterans all over America when they realize that you answered the call of your country, that they genuinely respect and appreciate you for uh, having served. They, they most definitely do. And to give back to them, myself and my band, we go all over the country and do free shows for the veterans and their families to just give back to them, too. When, when you're playing the songs that made you famous and that made, you know, the band such a household name, what is the, 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 the affirmation that you get looking out into the crowd when people are mouthing the words to the song that you sang 50 years ago. That, that's exactly the biggest compliment right there to me, seeing the people mouthing the words right along with me. That's a tremendous compliment right there, you know? And, and sometimes I'll say to them, I bet you guys didn't even realize you remember those words. <laughs> 
Yeah, some of them didn't remember whether they ate breakfast or whether <laughs> what their phone number is, but by golly, they remember the words they to the Gary Lewis those song. Words. <laughs> oh, Gary, I mean this sincerely. It is a thrill and an honor for me to have you here. I grew up listening to your music, played it as a disc jockey when I was a kid working at radio. And the thought that I'd ever be on the same stage with you is a big, big deal to me. And it's Thank a big, you. big deal for me to oh, be on a stage with you. What a delight. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much. And I hope that you will catch one of Gary's concerts. You can find out all about his touring schedule and his music. You find him at GaryLewisOfThePlayboys.com. It's GaryLewisOfThePlayboys.com, right there on your screen. You can also purchase copies of his many hits at your favorite online music retailer. And I know that you'd like to have an encore of Gary. So don't worry, because Gary's going to be back later in the show, and I'm going to be joining him. And it's not because I'm good enough. It's because I want to. Right. That's it. Until then, Keith, there's a lot more for us tonight. Why don't you tell us a little about it? Oh, you lucky, lucky man. Coming up, American Chopper's Paul Tuttle on how he went from fighting to forgiveness. And the comedic talent of Robert G. Lee are just ahead on Huckabee. Well, you all know my next guest from American Chopper. It was a hit reality show where the wall-punching family fights on screen were only too real. In his new book, The Bill, Designing My Life of Chopper's Family and Faith, he shares the behind-the-scenes true story of the pain caused by some of those dysfunctional family dynamics. He also talks about how his wife and son and God's guidance helped him break the generational cycle of abuse and addiction and how he discovered love, peace, and creativity. Please welcome the master of metalwork, Paul Tuttle, Jr. You know, Paul, I think everybody was expecting you to ride in on a big yeah, chopper know, or something like that. Yeah, I know, I know. could have done something Really like disappointed me, yeah, man. could have done it, though. Behind the scenes of American Chopper. Yeah. Uh, you were on many years, took a hiatus, it's coming right. back. Coming back. A lot of the drama was about you and your dad and the conflicts. Our show had drama? A little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, the fighting was part of what we were doing before the cameras came on. And, and I'm sure everybody asks you this that has ever talked to you. How real was that? Yeah, and I, and I address that in my book, too. You know, it was very real. It was real to the point where it was happening way before cameras. Mm. Uh, when the cameras showed up, we, we had the fights. We didn't anticipate they would be in the show. And so... Well, of course they were going to well, be in the show. Yeah, well, you know, there was no real mindset about that. Now you say that. Yeah. But there was no... There was really no reality television that was based in this type of behavior, you know? But there did come that time where you and your dad kind of parted ways. Yeah. I mean, he, he fired you. He did. At the time, it was really tough, but when I look back, it was the best thing. And it, and it wasn't, it was more the best thing for me. We had an unhealthy dynamic. Mm. So coming, it, coming I, I want to be around my father, but coming out of that unhealthy dynamic, I was able to grow spiritually, uh, emotionally, and just on every level, because I kind of came out from under my father, and then I just became my own, my own guy, you know? When did faith become a very important part of, of your kind of reconciling with your dad, putting your life together and saying, I've got a son now, because I know you do, yeah. and I want to be a father to him that, that introduces him to faith and not to fighting? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, and that, that brings up, you know, the topic of the generational thing, and, you know, the only way to break that is through Christ, and you know, I think after me and my father parted ways, um, I really got focused and I did everything to honor God in, any, in all circumstances. And when you do that, things start to work out. Coming into having my own son, right, because now I'm the father and that's the dynamic shift, um, you know, it really, it really gets you focused. And I'll tell you, it has, I've found a lot of um, forgiveness and understanding towards my own father mm. um, it, because of having my own son. You have a business now 
Paul Jr. designs. You're doing all sorts of stuff, not just motorcycles anymore. Yeah. A lot of creativity going on in your a lot life. Of, you know, my gift is creativity, and it is a God-given one, and it, it is a, an amazing thing. And any, anyone who's seen the show and ever seen me do anything good, I give all the glory and all the credit to God because the gift I have is, is just, it's unbelievably, it's, it's unlimited, really. I mean, God has given me a special talent. And uh, thank you. And, well, you know, uh, God is a creator. He made us in his image. Right. So if he's creative, which he clearly is, it makes sense that he passes on creativity Amazing. to those that he loves. Amazing. And, you know, time after time, every bike we do, I get more creative. In the beginning, I would hold on to ideas thinking, well, I'm not, I got to save this for the next build. And then after a while, I just let it all go. And I've been doing that for almost 20 years. I, I think people are going to enjoy the rebirth of American Chopper perhaps even more. But one thing I know they're going to love is the book. Yes. Uh, and I want to say thanks to Paul Tuttle Jr. sharing his inspiring story. But I want you to know about his book. It's called The Build. You can get it at Amazon, other top booksellers. You can also find more about him online at pauljrdesigns.com. That's pauljrdesigns.com. And of course, you can see him on American Chopper every Monday night at 10 p.m. on the Discovery Channel, and I hope you will. All right, Keith, take it away. Next, the news you will wish you had missed and the stand-up comedy of Robert G. Lee. Gary Lewis returns to rock here on Huckabee. Well, Senator John McCain spent his entire life serving his country. He served in the U.S. Navy as a fighter pilot, and then he was shot down over Vietnam and spent almost six years being tortured as a POW. He served two terms in Congress before being elected to the U.S. Senate, where he served for over 30 years. He twice ran for president, and in 2008, he was the GOP nominee, mainly because he beat the guy who came in second to him. By the way, I know that guy. Well, John McCain could be cantankerous and a contrarian, sometimes voting against his own party and frustrating friends and foes alike. But no one, and I mean no one, can doubt his love of country. He died last Saturday after a battle with brain cancer, and he's been honored in a series of events this week is being buried at his beloved Naval Academy in Annapolis this weekend. We join with all Americans in honoring his service and standing with his family with our prayers and our deep gratitude. Well, we've got the news stories that you may have overlooked in a segment we like to call In Case You Missed It. Well, a bride-to-be recently canceled her wedding because friends and family would not pay $1,500 each just to attend her wedding. Wow. I mean, what was wrong with those wedding guests? Four days before her nuptials, a bride named Susan decided to cancel her wedding and leave her husband high and dry. Lucky guy. The bridezilla told the story on social media this way. She said, we saved nearly $15,000 for our wedding, and since our love was like a fairy tale, we wanted an extravagant blowout wedding. We were torn between two venues, and a psychic told us to go with the more expensive option. <laughs> I wonder if the psychic was also a part-time wedding planner. <laughs> Don't know. But like most red-blooded American couples, they chose the psychic option. That meant they needed $45,000 more in addition to their fifteen grand. So Susan decided the easy way to make up the difference was to charge family and friends who attended a total of $1,500 each for the joy of attending. Sounds like some of our Washington politicians, doesn't it? <laughs> well, Susan asked in her social media rant, how could we have the wedding of our dreams without proper funding? We'd sacrifice so much we only ask each guest for around $1,500. The bride also made it clear to potential guests, if you couldn't contribute, you weren't invited to our exclusive wedding. Well, Susan, now allow me to be your fake psychic, although that's kind of a redundant statement. Let me tell you that the average person spends $1,145 on a vacation, 
And nobody, I mean nobody, wants to give up their holiday to pay for your crazy overreach of a wedding. Fact is, most people would have paid $1,500 to not go. Susan was shocked when only eight RSVPs came back with a $1,500 check. Honey, let me tell you, that's eight people, probably nine more than I thought you'd ever get. <laughs> Susan and her ever so lucky fiance set up a GoFundMe site to fill the gap, but it only returned $250. And when that gallant groom said he would elope with Susan to Las Vegas, she shut him down faster than a broken porta potty, asking him, what am I, some hoochie piece of trash? At this point in the story, I would think that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> the smart young groom left the room in great haste. The enraged bridezilla took her frustrations out on her maid of honor who had promised $5,000 before backing out. In the end, it seems Susan had become enamored by the Kardashian TV show and wanted to be like one for a day, her wedding day. And instead, like a failed TV show, her big episode got canceled. And the would-be groom, He's now living under an assumed name in the Federal Witness Protection Program. <laughs> and in the immortal words of country legend Barbara Mandrell, he's sleeping single in a double bed and loving it. Yes, indeed. Happy life, Susan. Good luck out there. Well, we've all had that car that we bought and ended up hating. I'm talking about a real piece of junk, a total lemon. Well, Dionysi Ophirius, I think it's something like that, Ophiraris, yeah, that's it. He has taken the concept of driving lemons to new heights. How, you ask? Well, here's how. Riverside, California Sheriff's deputies caught Mr. Fiaris driving down the road with 800 pounds of lemons inside his car. No iced tea, no salmon, just 800 pounds of freshly picked lemons inside his little car. Now, what in the wide world of fruit was this guy doing? It almost seems fitting that the deputies pulled him over, no kidding, on Grapefruit Boulevard. <laughs> I didn't make that up. He was apprehended on a citrus thoroughfare. He really was. And aren't you glad it wasn't you in the car? Well, Fieras was taken into custody upon suspicion of grand theft. Suspicion? I think the guy was caught yellow-handed. Okay, seriously, if you're gonna risk a felony grand theft, and that's the charge against him, by the way, I mean, wouldn't you aim for a bigger payoff? Maybe a load of shrimp down in San Diego, or a load of Kobe beefsteaks from a butcher in LA? And what did the deputies pull Mr. Fierros over for? Was he running a light? Did they catch him seating? Seating? Or were the officers just in a bitter mood? Okay, no more bad puns. Lead investigator Armando Munoz said that large produce thefts are fairly uncommon in the area, but there had been a series of big citrus thefts that led them to be on the lookout. I wanna say, lookout for what? A guy driving around with 800 pounds of lemons with a real sour look on his face? <laughs> Mr. Fierros was released from the county jail in Indio on Saturday after he had posted a $10,000 bond. The 800 pounds of lemons were confiscated by the Riverside Sheriff's Department. Now, in other news, the Riverside Sheriff's Department has reportedly set up a lemonade stand outside headquarters to raise funds for new uniforms. Okay, at their recent meeting in Chicago, the Democratic National Committee has passed a rule to use more gender-neutral language so they could be more inclusive. By the way, I need to get rid of this lemon. Here you go, Keith. Up, oh, lemonade. <laughs> there you go. Well, the Democrats' move is good news for all the agender, non-binary, and asexual persons. They're Zazas and Ninis and as fully grown Sprogs. They gotta be really happy about this. But I'll bet this may be a little too progressive for the grandparents. I mean, it sounds like a bunch of characters from Star Trek, doesn't it? But in addition, the DNC ruled that all committees must have equal representation between men and women. However, those who are agender, non-binary, and asexual will not be counted as male or female. You got that? Does that make sense? Equal men and women, unless you don't think you are either one. 
Politico figure. DNC Chair Tom Perez told CNN, quote, by adopting this amendment, the Democratic National Committee is ensuring every Democrat feels welcome and embraced for who they are, end quote. Or maybe he should have said who they wish they were. <laughs> and do all 57 genders, as believed to exist by the gender police, do they all get a representative on the Democratic National Committee? I mean, I think some of these non-binary folks should do what the late music artist formerly known as Prince did. Just identify yourself by a symbol. Here's the one I suggest. Well, I know there <laughs> might be some symbol infringement on the Riddler, but holy cow, Batman, what in the world is happening to this political party? I'm pretty sure Franklin Roosevelt never imagined in his wildest dreams that the New Deal would come to this. And finally, for all those who love nature, German police officers recently captured and placed a baby squirrel into custody after it chased a grown man relentlessly down the streets of his hometown. An unidentified man called the cops when he could not lose the tiny squirrel. When the police finally arrived to aid the harassed German man, the baby squirrel had run out of steam and was sleeping. So they took him into temporary custody. The squirrel, not the man. Apparently, the infant squirrel has lost his mom and decided the terrified man looked like a perfect replacement. The police named the little squirrel Carl Frederick. But when they released it to the town animal rescue center, they learned it was a girl and they renamed it Pip Palata. Now, the harassed German man was allegedly nicknamed Angst Hasse, or what we know more commonly in English as Scaredy Cat. Look, no offense to the Germans, but where I grew up in Arkansas, we put the squirrels in the stew pot or the fryer. <laughs> I was famously mocked for years for an interview I did with NBC during the 2008 presidential campaign when I discussed how that when I was in college, we'd hunt squirrels and then we'd cook them in a popcorn popper in the dorm since that was the only cooking appliance that was allowed. Because folks, Nothing says college in Arkansas like the aroma of squirrels frying in a popcorn popper in the men's dorm. And that is all the news that you missed that we couldn't resist making you hear because we read the news so you don't have to. Right now, our faithful announcer, Keith Bilbrey, is standing by for no particular purpose other than to try to get this train back on the rails. Go ahead, Keith. Ah, uh, no lemons here. The best is yet to come. Comedian Robert G. Lee and Gary Lewis are straight ahead on Huckabee. Samaritan's Purse is giving help and hope in Jesus' name to hurting people here in America and all over the globe. I hope you'll visit their website or call the number on your screen and share your best gift to assist in restoring broken lives. You can even volunteer to participate with them on the very front lines of need. I hope you'll start making a difference today with Samaritan's Purse. Now, you've seen my next guest on Showtime, VH1, Comic Strip Live, and a variety of roles on major sitcoms. You've even heard his comedic skills on Sirius Radio's Laugh USA and through the writing on the Veggie Tales video series. No, it's not Bob the Tomato. Nope, please welcome comedian Robert G. Lee to the show. Thank you very much. It is true after that resume, you can tell that I am a professional smart aleck. This is my job. Now, my sixth grade teacher told me I could never make a living as a comedian. So every year I go home, I call her up, I tell her how much I make, I laugh, I hang up. That's what I do. So <laughs> it's like, bam. <laughs> She's in a nursing home. She has no idea who I am. <laughs> but it just feels good to do it. Now, as a professional smart aleck, I get called to do a lot of charities, a lot of events, and I was doing one such event, and the, and the group asked me to pray before the meal. I said, okay, but they said, we're a government-sponsored organization, so we can't have you say any particular deity's name. I said, all right, well, I'm, I'm in the middle of a prayer, and I realize I have no idea how to get out of this prayer. So it's just getting longer and longer and longer, and eventually I said, we pray these things in your name. Hopefully you know who you are. <laughs> One of my favorite topics is to discuss the difference between today's culture and how most of us grew up. And, and people ask me why there's such a difference. I say the answer is simple. Our parents didn't care if we were happy. 
That's it. It's real simple. It's like our parents came out of World War II and Korea, and their job was to toughen us up. When we got hurt, we did not have soothing aloe vera. We did not have Bactine. No, we had methylate. Okay, you remember that? Red sulfuric acid in a bottle. Burn through the cut to the other side of your arm. Nazis would not use this. It was too cruel for the Nazis. You could, you could come home with your arm hanging by a thread, and you would not complain. No, you would not. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm a-okay. That needs methylate. No, it doesn't. I am good. We got hurt because everything we did was dangerous. Our swing sets did not have safety belts on them. The goal was to get as high as you could get and then launch yourself into the stratosphere. Our jungle gyms did not have padding. We had rocks. Rocks the janitor sharpened at night because he hated us. We'd come home from school, hop on our bikes, go off riding without helmets, without shoes, sometimes without clothes. We didn't care. Everything we did was dangerous. We played in creeks. We ran through abandoned houses. We jumped on trampolines without signing waivers first. We <laughs> drove our go-kart directly into traffic. We played lawn darts where we stood next to the target. Remember that? <laughs> Missed. <laughs> we didn't have sunblock. We got burned to a crisp and we had peeling parties. That's what we had. We blew up Barbies with M80s. We had gunfights with BB guns. We ran with scissors. We ate paint chips when we were hungry. Our Halloween costumes were made out of asbestos, for goodness sake. But for safety, our mothers made us wait an hour after we ate before we swam. That was it. Today's kids can't even play hide-and-seek. They all have cell phones. They're text messaging each other. It's like, Billy's behind the rock. LOL, there he is. Oh, God. Uh, this next Tuesday, my wife and I will be married for 37 years, so not bad. <laughs> not trying to be cautiously optimistic, but I think we just might make it. <laughs> we have moved from forgive and forget straight to forget. That's where we are right now. It's like, I'm mad at you. I really wish I could remember why. Our dinnertime arguments have begun to resemble congressional hearings. Uh, I have no recollection of the altercation and discussion. I can neither confirm nor deny my participation in those events. Please pass the peas. You may think that sports are exciting, but I seriously believe that no sporting event in the world compares to the battle between the sexes. And I'll take you to one such grudge match right now. In this corner, 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 corner. Weighing in at 200 pounds, 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 with a record of 7,000 straight losses, 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 is the man. In this corner, weighing in at an undisclosed weight, 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 that, that is not her fault due to a low metabolism and three pregnancies, 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 with a record of 10,000 straight wins, 3,000 of which the man's not even aware of, aware of, aware of, is the woman. The woman will not tell the man why they're in the ring tonight. If he does not know, that is his problem. <laughs> Here are the rules. The man, being the physically stronger of the two, is not allowed to touch the woman. He can only use his strength to protect her. The woman, being the more verbally agile of the two, is allowed to rip the man to shreds. Which is fine, because he will not understand for up to three days, at which time he'll demand a rematch and lose again. If the man insults the woman and hurts her in any way, he must apologize. If the woman insults the man, the man must apologize. <laughs> These are the rules. Remember that you love each other, and as the good book says, try not to let the sun go down on your anger, which means the man cannot sleep until he dies. <laughs> and fight. That's it for me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. That was so funny. How'd you get into comedy? Uh, I was, I mean, a shy kid and just had that. My, I knew that my mind just went a different way than everybody else. And, and, and in class, you can go, well, what? I wasn't the smart, the class clown. But well, that's I was what the, I wanted to know. Were you the one that was cutting no, up all the time? Well, I was the 
class wit. Now, see, the class clown is the guy that puts underwear in his head and says he's Wedgie Jackson. Uh, I, I was the class wit, and I would just wait for the teacher to just have an opening, and then boom, throw in a zinger. So I learned how to work. And my dad was very funny. He would work the room with, at family reunions, and I would watch him and go, that's what I want to do. When you do your comedy, one of the things that I think is very unique is that you only perform clean comedy. What made you decide to make your comedy wholesome, family-friendly? My, my mother is very strong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was raised in the church, and you know I've, I've got that sensibility about me, and I just think I, I grew up on you know, Bill Cosby and watching the Marx Brothers and Charlie Chaplin. I just fell in love with that kind of comedy. And everybody says, you know, you, it's harder to be clean and be funny, but that's just who I am. I can't go against who I am and what I believe in. Well, I'm glad you are, are able to be true to yourself. You've got a movie that you have uh, put together. Tell me about it. Uh, it's, it's, well, I, I just thought that we, there are so many faith-based films that are just so darn serious that we need to laugh. We need to lighten the mood. Yes. And so this is a screwball comedy. I had a bunch of friends. We put on a show, and it's called Can I Get a Witness Protection? <laughs> uh, so, okay. <laughs> and it's, it's like Some Like It Hot or Sister Act where um, a guy's put in the Federal Protection Agency, and they put him in a church. They hide him there, and the very first day, the head pastor dies, and he has to take over. So a guy who knows nothing about <laughs> religion has to take over a church. And so... Hijinks ensue, and of course, it's a faith-based story, so he slowly comes to faith as he's preaching and, and doing a horrible job doing it. So that's the movie. Well, I can't wait to see that. That's going to be fun. Oh, I, you know, and why is it that we don't understand how important it is to laugh and to have some fun with life? Well, it's, well everything you were talking about today is showing the division in our country. And yeah. we just need to lighten up and just know that it, it is like a, a daily dose of medicine. And anger dries the bones, and laughter is a good medicine. So on that... This coming week on Labor Day, I'm releasing, it's called Your Daily Dose, and every single day is a new comedy bit. And nothing political, just to have a good time. Because we need that. We've got to, hopefully laughter can bring us back together. Uh, Robert, I think you're doing a great job of helping Thank us so do much. that. Oh, Thank, you a pleasure. Very, Thank you so very much. Robert G. Lee, let me tell you, folks, this guy will truly make you laugh till your sides hurt. You saw that here tonight. Why don't you check out his debut, Can I Get a Witness Protection? It's on Amazon Prime. You can also get his comedy DVD called Weisenheimer, as well as other great performance DVDs at robertglee.com. That's robertglee.com. Now, Keith, I need you to really come up with a showstopper to beat Robert G. Lee's performance. Good luck with that. What yeah, you got? no kidding. Well, how about a musical artist who sold 45 million records? Up next, Gary Lewis performs She's Just My Style, and Mike sits in on bass. That's just 60 seconds away when Huckabee returns. Well, this song was a mega hit for Gary Lewis, and why wouldn't it be with songwriters like Al Capp, Snuff Garrett, and Leon Russell joining Gary in the creation of She's Just My Style. With Mike sitting in on bass, here is Gary Lewis. Everything about her. Just me, why? Don't you know that she's just, just me, 
Thanks to everyone on the show tonight, including this wonderful, wonderful town of the gent, Gary Lewis. I hope you'll join us next week when we're going to welcome C.C. Winans, Bridget Gabriel, Eddie DeGarmo, and Laura Ainsworth. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Good night. God bless. See you next week. <laughs>